The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I am your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister and Executive Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the Founder. Uh, We're starting a new series today that I'm calling Secrets of Metaphysical Bible Study. And to kick off the show, I wanted to catch my uh, brother from another mother, uh, the (laughs) Reverend Dita Randolph, (laughs) to be my guest for the day, who is the lead pastor of the Water and Stone Church in Florida. How you doing there, Reverend Dieter? I am doing wonderful and even more wonderful because I get to be at the beginning of this series with you. I just, I'm just so thrilled to be back on the show. Beautiful, beautiful. If this is the first time some people might be hearing you, could you just give them a, uh, a quick bio about who you are and what you're currently doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Both of my parents and uh, both of my mom's parents are uh, unity ministers. And I was born in Kansas City. My mom and dad were uh, working at Unity Village, and so the first home I ever knew was on the grounds of the village. So I'm about as as uh, old timey as it gets. And I've been uh, I've been in the ministry for uh, 25 years now. And uh, my wife and I have uh, started a uh, small church here in St. Petersburg, Florida, the finest city on the face of the earth, as I always say. And it's called Water and Stone Church. And uh, we've We've just really uh, had an amazing time. We celebrate our second anniversary, and we're just doing great, having a great time, and just sort of questioning what church is supposed to be, what it ought to be, and building the kind of church that we want to go to. You know, so it's just been incredible adventure. Beautiful, beautiful. So, uh, you know, as I when I reached out to you via text, you were like, "Hey, I got this idea. I want you to be the guest uh, for it." Is because I know that you have a very rich background in metaphysical bible study because as you just stated based upon your history and your own work you will be considered you know old school unity old school new thought <laughs> well, from the standpoint I'm of the perspective and i'm not saying old school versus new school is one is competing against another it's just there's a perspective that goes along with the old school 
unity way of dealing with the Bible in particular. And, mm -hmm. you know, before we actually uh, get rolling, the first question I want to ask you about is, from your point of view, what is metaphysical Bible interpretation and why is it unique to new thought? Well, that word metaphysical comes from actually comes from the, the philosopher Aristotle. He wrote this book called The Physics, and it was about the physical universe. You know, back then, philosophers were also scientists, you know, so all the stuff about the physical world he dealt with in this book called The Physics. And then he had all of this other stuff, stuff that we would call spiritual. And he didn't know what to do with it, so he wrote a book called The Metaphysics, and the word just means after the physics, so it's like round two. You know, so the word itself just means anything that's beyond a physical interpretation, anything that's beyond facts and on into something that we would call truth. You know, when you love somebody, let's say, the facts are there's biological compatibility and all that, but that's not the truth about love. Love is so much bigger than that, so that's where metaphysics happens. So metaphysical read of the Bible is the idea that the events and the characters and the situations that we read about in the Bible aren't just factual occurrences. And in fact, you know, you can get in a lot of trouble trying to decide, well, what really happened? You know, there's big pieces where we don't exactly know. The Bible isn't a videotape, you know what I mean? So you have to do some interpretation. You have to decide what's important. And truth tends to come out over time. You know, it's so funny. I was talking about this in the in the lesson I gave on Sunday. You know, there's this wonderful game of telephone that happens when things are passed on, and the important things rise to the top, and the things that don't matter so much tend to fade out. And so over time, we find this truth that may or may not directly correspond with facts. Just like I shared with you, we get to a point where we don't care what size sandals Jesus wore. That's not the important part of the story. It's factual, but that's, that doesn't help me live my life. You know what I mean? Right, and so, right. Metaphysical interpretation of the Bible is finding what these things represent. Another word that's very compatible is the word allegorical, and that's, that means like a symbol. Even Paul said in the Bible, these things contain an allegory. You know, So the idea is that it's a symbological, a representational view of the Bible. But what I want to say, you asked if it was unique to New Thought, and the idea of interpreting a religious text, whether it's the Bible or another important book or set of teachings, the idea of interpreting that allegorically is not unique to us. It's been going on. It's actually older than the literal tradition. If you look back at like what the Greeks were doing, they knew that Zeus wasn't a guy that lived on a mountaintop. But rather, he represented something, for example. This is actually older than literal. And the precedent in the Bible, once again, Paul talked about it. The disciples asked Jesus, how can you tell so many stories? What's up with all the parables, for example? There's a precedent within the Bible. So it's been going on for a long time. But what I think is unique to new thought is we put our theological lens on it. So you go, okay, everything in the Bible represents something. Well, what does it represent? And then you have to go, well, here's what we believe. And that enables right. us to figure out what the symbols are. And that's why, by the way, it's really important to know what the heck you believe in. Right, right. Yeah, I think, you know, as, you know, years ago, uh, I'm sure you know him, um, Reverend Thomas Shepard, who's a unity minister. He's retired now. He's writing sci-fi mm -hmm. books now, actually. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, it, uh, he had wrote a book on, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it now, uh, it's not it's escaping me, but he wrote a book on on the philosophical antecedents of new thought. 
and yeah, we yeah. talked about uh, Philo of Judea, you know, who was saying, okay, how can we look at the the what we would call the Hebrew Bible, Christians call the Old Testament, allegorically. He would talk about, you know, origin and, and several other people through the history of the church who said, you know what, we don't have to just look at this uh, literally. We can look at this for the symbolism that, mm-hmm. that you know, that we can learn from it. And, I, I you know, I always like to um, refer back to the book. I can see the picture of the book in my brain, but for whatever reason, I can't pull it up right now. But it's it's important that we have that conversation because people at times honestly believe that we just made this stuff up. And, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like like for real, like you just made it up and, you know, you were kind of doing your own thing. And we have to be honest enough to to say to people we're a part of a tradition. The name of the book is Friends in High Places. It just popped in my head. There you go. Friends, you friends go. in High Places. And I'm sure it's available on on Amazon. But what the book did was show even in certain parts of the church's history where it could have went more allegorical, metaphysical versus uh, literal and trending toward what we now call fundamentalism and how the people who won wrote the story, which were the literalists, the fundamentalists, while there was this whole mystical tradition that did more allegorical and metaphysical interpretation. And I do a, just personally, I do a slight tweak between the allegorical and the metaphysical. And the reason why I do that is the metaphysical for me always applies to my own thoughts, my feelings, my beliefs, how my consciousness expresses my inner being was allegorical can and cannot sometimes mean those things. But that's just me. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I get that. I get uh, that. Um, you know, the, but I think the overall conversation around it is still we're part of a tradition uh, that if we acknowledge it, it allows us to also, especially in the context of Christianity, say that this voice has always been around and people drowned it intentionally. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I, I, you mentioned origin of Alexandria. He's a really key figure. He's in the second century. So, I mean, this is brand new. This whole idea of, of what Christianity is, is evolving and, and still a brand new kind of a weirdo concept at that point. It's not mainstream at all. And Origen is the one who says that the Bible is like a person, and he's the one that says just like a person has spirit, soul, and body. Now that ought to sound familiar if you read your lessons in truth, spirit, soul, and body. It's kind of a big concept, but he says – Origen says just like that you have spirit, soul, and body, the body – you rather. Just like you have spirit, soul, and body, the Bible has allegorical. That's like the spirit. Moral, which is you know those teachings like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's like your soul, and the Bible has a body, a literal meaning, which is you know there's this guy named Noah who did this thing with a boat, and all of those are important. Origin says you need to read all that. You need to get the best understanding of what the words mean and get that literal. You need to get the moral and understand what the Bible is trying to say. But that's only the beginning. You have to go to the place where you allegorically interpret it and apply it personally. What does this say to you? And that thing you said about how that literal tradition ends up 
sort of being the popular one, there's a lot of reasons for that. And, and I think one of the reasons is it's really easy to control people if I tell them, look, you don't have any power. You've got to come to me to get the power. And so if I take away the idea that there's something special in you, and I say, no, you've got to come to me to get it because literally this is a story about ancient history. You've got nothing to do with that. You need to come to me for the goods. Well, that's a very powerful control move. But if you read even the literal stuff that Jesus did in the Bible, his whole mission was about empowerment of the individual. So I would argue that a strictly literal interpretation of the Bible is at cross-purposes with what we read literally in what Jesus did. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So when we talk about metaphysical Bible interpretation, uh, and we've discussed some of it, but in, in particular with some of the harder texts in particular, but in general, why is the metaphysical Bible interpretation important? <laughs> I think it's important because life is more than physical. You know, you are more than your, your atoms and molecules and blood vessels and muscles and all of that stuff. And in fact, that's the least important part of you. You know, that, that, so just reading the Bible on a, on a physical, factual level, you miss so many things. Again, there's the Bible precedent where, you know, Jesus says, is your, your body more, you know, than life more than, than your body, more than your clothing, more than this outer stuff? What are you looking at? You know, so once again, there are literal parts of the Bible that tell you you have to interpret the Bible allegorically, metaphysically. You, you have to do there because you are more than the facts of your life. And right. one of the things – it's so funny. I hate quoting myself, but here we go. I did a talk a couple of days ago about the importance of story, my lesson last Sunday, and what I said was… There are people who come to me and say, how come the Bible doesn't just tell me what to do? How come it's not like instructions like at Ikea when I build a, a bookshelf? And I say, first of all, those instructions aren't really very good. No one has ever built a bookshelf from Ikea the first time out. You've got to take it apart. You always end up with parts left over that you've got to hide somewhere so nobody knows you messed up. It, it never works that way. But more than that, life in a bookshelf. It's important to understand this, this allegorical, this metaphysical interpretation because there's so much more than that. But digging in a little bit deeper, I would argue that if you're not doing allegory, you're not going all the way. You're not reading the whole thing. I'll give you an example. There's this teaching called the golden rule. Perhaps you've heard of it. You know, Do mm -hmm. unto others as you would have them do unto you. Everybody goes, okay, well, that's really straightforward. I don't have to do any Bible interpretation. How come the whole Bible isn't like that? But if you really read the golden rule, it's actually something you can't take literally because what if I want a sandwich and the other guy doesn't? What if I'm a people person and the other guy is a hermit? Does that mean i got to force him into my behavioral patterns and my ego wants? A lot of people that read the golden rule that way, and there's a lot of people who think Christianity means making people do it your way. But that is a real misunderstanding of the golden rule. For the golden rule to work, remember Jesus says it's the law and the prophets, it's the whole thing, means I've got to understand that it's not what I want literally, uh, uh, factually. The golden rule has to do with what does my heart want? What is the calling here to truth and love and beauty? The golden rule, which seems so literal, itself takes me to this place where I've got to find the symbols. I've got to look beyond what the appearances are and into something that is closer to truth and further from facts. So I would argue that, that, uh, that metaphysical Bible interpretation is important because you have to. You can't do it otherwise. Otherwise, you're just reading half the book.
Yes, yes. And, you know, it's kind of funny. One of the things that I often tell people when they're studying uh, new thought or uh, metaphysics, metaphysics or whatever, and I said, don't get scared of the word metaphysical. I said, because technically all religions are metaphysical. Anything that yeah, talks exactly. about life beyond the five senses uh, matters. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, the issue comes into play is what is the emphasis? And I think that that the lens that New Thought brings to the table uh, is, and the uniqueness is, as you mentioned earlier, our perspective about God, about humanity, and the universe. So mm-hmm. what I, you know, so when I bump into a scripture that is inconsistent with the truth that uh, God is good, you know, because this is one of the conversations that I have with people, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. last night, you know, I'm teaching my Bible class, you know, we're going through these stories and some of these stories are quite horrific. Uh, biblically, <laughs> uh, literally it's that hard to swallow, you know, Abraham told to, you know, kill his son as a sacrifice or, mm-hmm. you know, you're, uh, you know, we're reading the book of Joshua and I'm telling people this scripture, this book in particular was used literally to slaughter you know, for, you know, you know, whole people, Native Americans, take over other people's countries, take their land, take their whatever, because all you have to do is convince yourself that God wants me to have what you have. Then I'll go take it. (laughs) Uh, So, (laughs) so when we we look at it metaphysically, we can look at it differently. But go ahead, please. Yeah, I want to jump in. Yeah, no, I I just just agreeing with you. I mean, there are definitely some. uh, some Quentin Tarantino parts of the Bible, you know, but <laughs> the thing is, it's, you have to get to the place where you realize that you can't just read a piece. You know, that's like reading a paragraph out of a book and thinking you understand the whole book. The Bible has to be taken as a whole, and that's an effort. I mean, there's lots of, lots of words in there. It's a big old book, but one of my favorite preachers, and he's a, he is mainstream. His name is Jay Baker. You remember Jim and Tammy Baker? Yeah. Um, he's their kid. Now he has—he's a million miles away from what Jim and Tammy were doing. He's really kind of an underground guy, and he does—he's got all kinds of tattoos, and he does Sunday lessons in bowling alleys and nightclubs. And he's—you know—I'm I'm not 100% there with him theologically, but I love his style, and I love what he's doing. And he says one of my favorite quotes from him is he says, "The Bible is a collection of books, like a library." And only a fool would walk up to a library and go, I am going to take all of these books literally. Yeah. There's so much more you have to do. you know. And so, yes, do we believe that the battlefield stuff that, for example, Moses went through, do we believe that there was literal truth there? Yes. I do not think the Bible is videotaped. Like I said, I think that, that there, is, there is interpretation and editorializing and translation and all kinds of other things that happen. But at the core of it, do I believe that there was a man named Moses and a man named Jesus and all that? Absolutely. Do I believe that in general the Bible says what they did and they did what it says? Yes. But I don't believe that that's the key for me. I'm not in a battlefield in Palestine. You know, That's not where I am, and so I have to do some work to understand that… If I read the whole Bible, if I put the whole thing in context, if I understand that, that God is love, then the battle that I fight isn't about taking something that belongs to somebody else. Because if you really read your Bible, you know that you can't take something that belongs to somebody else. It won't stay with you. 
I've got to realize that, you know what, I do fight a battle, but the battle I fight is against my own ego or the version of myself that I was yesterday or against fear. You know, and so I need to work on this in a different way. But I think that there are people who take everything out. They go, oh, I don't want to look at the yucky stuff. I just want to look at the parts where we're supposed to love each other, and there's a lot of singing kumbaya and a lot of hugging and, and all that. I just want to look at the happy stuff. But the thing is, is your life that way? Do you really want to only have no challenges? Because you know what? I think that there are things to clean up. It, it drives me crazy when I, when I hear people say, you know what? I don't watch the news. Because I want to stay positive, and I understand, but on the other hand, you can't fix it if you don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as a preacher, and as I said, I've been a preacher for decades, it doesn't mean that I'm done with problems. <laughs> right. i got so many things that I need to fix in my life, and my wife Jenny always says, big people, big problems. Sometimes when you learn right. more, you get even bigger stuff to handle. So mm-hmm. if I don't know about the parts where the children of Israel are fighting a battle, somebody's got to deal with something unpleasant, then I'm not going to know how to deal with it in my own life. And, you know, there's there's pieces, like even in the Lord's Prayer, uh, we make a big deal at at our church, at Water and Stone Church, because we say the Lord's Prayer just like it is written in in our Bible that we use. We use New American Standard Translation, but it doesn't matter whatever translation you use, that's one that we happen to like the best. But we don't change any of the words. And that's a big deal because there's a lot of churches in unity and in new thought that say, for example, they don't like to deliver us from evil part. They say deliver us from error. And I understand because we believe that God is good and God is all there is. So there's not this other power that some people call evil. I get it. But you know what? If you read your Eric Butterworth, Eric Butterworth says, of course, evil exists. Look at the news. Of course, there's stuff we have to fix, but evil is not an opposite to God. It's not a counterpart to God. It is not another power. The commandments say have only one power in your life, but that doesn't mean there isn't stuff to fix. And I'll tell you the truth, man. So many times in my own life, I didn't learn it until I broke it. You know, I had to learn things the hard way. I wasn't a good husband until I dated before I met Jenny and made some stupid mistakes. For example, I wasn't a good driver until I ran over my dad's mailbox. You know, I'm not saying you have to learn things the hard way, but it comes up. And so what I'm saying is I don't want to be delivered from evil. If evil is ego, selfishness, the mistakes that people make, I don't want to be delivered from my error. I want to face my error. Yeah, and deliver deliver can literally mean recognize that you have the power to overcome what yeah. is perceived as a challenge you know as i yeah. i actually this that question uh Dieter, came up in a class i was substituting a couple of weeks ago and you know this and the lady said to me in the class you know the thing i wrestle with is this evil thing and one of the things that i brought up in the class was uh what is the difference between truth and existence like in truth mm-hmm. there was just god but we can bring into existence things that are adulterated. Um, mm. um, in other words, we once we put our thought on it, individually or collectively, we can create alter, uh, adulterated manifestations that are not reflective of the one presence, one power. So I asked her this question, Dieter, and, uh, and then I and I brought it to the whole class. I said, "Name to me, name something that is evil that is not." created by human beings or is the perspective of a human being 
and the class mm-hmm. just got stumped. I said, just name one thing that you can say that that's independently evil, that you can't connect it to the actions of a human being or the perception. So I gave an example with the things that we see on the news, you know, the murder, the assaults, the, you know, you know, the sexual assaults, all this type of stuff. Uh, those would be considered things that happen factually. That's in existence, but that's produced yeah. by human beings. I said, I said yeah, now, exactly. if a, yeah. right, said, but if a hurricane yeah. or hits your house or a tornado hits your house or a tsunami floods your town, is that evil? Or if an earthquake happens, is that evil? Or if a sinkhole happens, is that evil? No, not necessarily if it's a natural phenomenon. The problem comes into play is we call it evil when it affects us. Is it a evil if it doesn't affect anybody? So the hurricane is out yeah. in the sea, is it evil? If the tornado goes through the field and doesn't hit anybody's house or hurt anybody, is it evil? Well, no, that's just nature. Okay, but we call it evil. I said, but let's talk about God. Do you see order in the universe? The sun is just close enough to the to the to the uh, earth that it keeps us warm, but it doesn't burn us up. We have, you know, the moon that controls tides. We see life. Life is another word for God. We see expressions of God over and over again, independent of human beings. And what I was trying to get across with this concept of of metaphysics was take a step back and do the evaluation and realize that the stuff that we're working through is all self-generated, individually or collectively. So so it it just gives us something to work with. We got to, I got to like in a minute, got to take our break. So let me give the number so people can call in if they want to call in and ask you questions, Dieter. Um, okay. Uh, the number is 816-251-3555. 816-251-3555. I also want to just remind everyone that is listening that this show has a Facebook page, which is Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Uh, go to Facebook. My, this is my request. You go to Facebook that you click like, that you give it a five-star rating and write a positive review. Uh, the show is also on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, and Google Play. So you can get the show, again, five-star review, write a posi- uh, five-star rating, write a positive review. It helps with the algorithms. also want to remind you that Unity Online Radio is supported by your donations. So as you freely receive, please freely give. Go to unityonlineradio.org or the shortcut unity.fm and click on the donate button and help support this online ministry. Uh, I'm a big believer that you that you that you sow where you're fed, and if this is one of the places in which you're where you're fed, um, you're working the law by making sure that you're supporting it. You're also paying it for because there are places in the world where they can't get this type of message, so it's really important to make sure that you know it. So um, we're going to take our uh, break and we'll be right back with True Transforms. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. 
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. So we're back now with Truth Transforms, and I think, you know, I need to give you the number one more time. If you want to call in and ask Reverend Dieter a question, you can call in at 816-251-3555, 816-251-3555. Now, um, one of the things that I think is also important that I let you know about is that I have a seminar this Saturday at Christ Universal Temple. It's titled understanding who you are and it's it's free and open to the public a love offering will be taken it's from 12 p.m until 2 p.m central time so if you're in the chicagoland area or you want to drive in and get some good hardcore metaphysics uh check me out um i'm also doing a sermon at christ universal temple on sunday uh titled the truth about prayer and if you're again in the local area or you want to drive in for a good worship experience, we would love to have you. And if you want to watch it uh, via live stream, you can go to Christ Universal Temple, uh, the Christ Universal Temple website at www.cutemple.org to click on the live stream or watch it directly through YouTube. Just go to YouTube, put CU Temple, CU, the word temple, all one word together, and click on the live stream, 10.30 a.m. until noon central time so you can again check out a good service and get some good hardcore metaphysics anyway so if you want to call in yet again 816-251-3555 so uh reverend Dieter, i want to get back to some questions because i want to make sure that i you know maximize the time i have with you so um <laughs> Why are names, numbers, and names, numbers, and places so important in metaphysical interpretation? Oh, okay. So you know, part of it is that a lot of this stuff. Once again, what we said is that the the facts tend to filter down, and the truth tends to rise to the top. And so, one of the things that we really key into are okay, the the the, the nouns, person, place, and thing. These tend to stay. And they all have direct meanings. The reason that the names and the numbers and the places, things like that are so important is because that is your first key, your first foothold into being able to interpret the Bible. Now, one of the books that I'm going to recommend to people is Charles Fillmore's Metaphysical Bible Dictionary. And if you haven't encountered that book, folks listening, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a dictionary of nouns, you know, names and places and stuff like that that you'll find in the Bible. And it's valuable because it's a dictionary, but it's also really valuable because in the preface to the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary, it's something that a lot of people just kind of skip over and get right to looking up Moses or whatever. But if you read that preface, you get a really good insight into how the Fillmores and people of like mind interpreted the Bible, and what they would do is they would start with what do the names mean? So for example, if I was going to tell you a story that I make up right now about a guy named Simon who goes to Philadelphia right now in the 21st century and stuff that he does, you might not know all of the pieces, but if you look up the name Simon, just like if you were naming a baby and you'd look up what the name means, the name Simon means hearing and obeying 
and you've been around long enough to know that Philadelphia is uh, the city of brotherly love. So what I'm telling you is that this is a story about what happens when that hearing, that obeying part of you, represented by Simon, is in a place of brotherly love. And now you know those things, and you can start to figure out the movement in consciousness of the movement of the characters in the story. It's so important to figure out what the names mean. Sometimes when you read a part like do one to others, you would have them do one to you. There's no names in there, so you don't got to worry about it. But a lot of times, especially when you're looking at Old Testament stuff, there's a lot of names and places. When you're looking at the letters of Paul, when Paul's talking to Corinth, go look up what Corinth means, for example, in the letter to the Corinthians. And you start to understand that this is about love, for example, and some specific things about love. And so that's a really key part of it. Now… Uh, numbers are important similarly because, well, for one thing, remember we're talking about an oral tradition. You know that that the stuff that is written down in this book called the Bible wasn't written down for a very, very, very long time. The the writings of of the children of Israel, the stuff that we would consider the Old Testament, is an oral tradition passed down verbally for a very, very long time. And even what we see in the New Testament wasn't written in the year 33, you know, when Jesus was doing what he was doing, but much, much later. And even the books that we would consider the New Testament aren't decided upon until the year 367. So think about that amazing span of time. And so before things are written down, if we're going to transmit them orally, there are certain things that we do. And one of the things you see a lot is the use of numbers. For example, the number five comes up a lot in the Old Testament, and there's a very obvious reason for that. Hopefully, you got five fingers, and so it's easy to remember the five things. It's just like you were, if you were telling a little kid, remember these five things, you'd show them on their fingers. So part of it is that there's a direct connection with being able to pass down an oral tradition. You got five fingers. There's seven days in the week, and so you see a lot of sevens in the Bible. There's 12 months in the year, so you see a lot of 12s in the Bible. So on one level, it has to do with being able to memorize. But more than that, when you think of how you feel about those numbers, it attaches a very specific meaning. Remember, we're getting past uh, the, the physical, the ego-based, the logical, factual meaning and into something that you can feel in your heart, right? So think about how you feel when you get done with something. A lot of times that happens in a seven because seven represents spiritual completion. You got done, and if you had to get through a week and get all the way back around to the Sabbath, you know what seven feels like, for example. And then 12, which is there's 12 months of a year, that represents spiritual fulfillment. In other words, so seven completes my week, but 12 completes this whole cycle. It's the fulfillment. The, the promise has been kept, that kind of a thing, which is why there's 12 disciples and 12 tribes of Israel and, and so on. Those numbers come up because we have a direct feeling. That number 40 comes up a lot because you know what? That's about, it takes about 40 weeks to make a baby. And so there is a direct feeling about that. I want to be really, really careful, though, because I think sometimes people think that numbers have some kind of special power, and that's exactly the opposite way around. It's not like it's powerful because it's 12 or 70 or 40 or 5 or 3 or whatever. That's not why it's powerful. The number is an expression of the power. And I say that because there are people that go, oh, I have a new – I got a new house, and the address is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And if you add 1 plus 2, you get a, you get a 3, and 3 plus 3 is 6 plus 5, and you do that, that thing. 
And first of all, that's so arbitrary. People go, oh, well, you know, it's 11-11. That's a magic time. Well, you know, we invented the clock, right? That's a human creation. So, you know, out in the jungle, there's no lion that cares what time it is. You know, that's very, very human. So I want to be careful. Numbers aren't powerful. Numbers are a way to understand the power that is already in you and in everything else. Yeah, you know, uh, Dieter, I look at it really kind of simply putting things back into the wisdom of Bruce Lee, because you can always pull things back to Bruce (laughs) Lee, as you know how I feel (laughs) about Bruce. Uh, So so in Enter the Dragon, he says to the boy at the Shaolin Temple, uh, Mm -hmm. it's like a finger pointing at the moon. If you concentrate on the finger, you miss all the heavenly glory. What we yep. have done it with the symbols, and even the Bible in and of itself as a symbol, is we don't re- recognize that it's pointing towards something. It's pointing towards a higher power, a high a presence, spirit, principle, whatever term a person wants to use. And these pe- proper names of people and places and numbers are ways that uh, metaphysically and, and in many ways literally helped people get an understanding of things like uh, Dr. Rocco Erico had mentioned to me once before that in Hebrew, the, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth is seven words. That's how serious they were about these things. But it mm-hmm. wasn't sure. meant to say, oh my God, this means that it's something that is you know, uh, you know super mystical beyond it was an approach to teaching how consciousness works and you know it's still when it's all said and done we, you know we make the meaning of things you know I, I used to joke because people who used to work in our parking lot at the church used to play my license plate numbers in the lottery <laughs> <laughs> well I guess that's a compliment <laughs> yeah so that's like you know or you know uh, you know you give a scripture out Luke twelve thirty one. all of a sudden 20 1231 straight in box it was like it, mm-hmm. when i found out about it I was like you guys gotta be kidding me but it's yeah, the meaning so if they win does it mean my license plate number is holy no it's their belief and i think that that's the part that people don't recognize that it's just teaching us how our consciousness works uh, i want to again give the people the number if you want to call in we're running out of time for you to call reverend dieter and ask him a question 816-251-3555, 816-251-3555. So I, I did do, since we've been talking so much about metaphysical Bible interpretation, I feel as though it is, it is our responsibility to bring up the champions of it, in my opinion, Charles and Myrtle mm-hmm. Fillmore. Uh, yeah. What's unique about Charles and Myrtle Fillmore's approach to Bible interpretation, metaphysical Bible interpretation? Well, I have a couple of – when you say that, it brings up a couple of things for me. I mean, first of all, as we said, it's not that they were the ones who invented it. You know, A lot of right. people are doing allegorical metaphors. We, we talked about that, and in fact, it makes me think – I got a copy of Lessons in Truth right here. And by the way, as you know, and I'm going to say all the, to all the listeners, you got to get a copy of Lessons in Truth. It's our primary textbook along with the Bible. Everything's in there, but – in a lot of editions of Lessons in Truth, they put this little quote. Now, Lessons in Truth was written by Dr. H. Emily Cady, but there's this little quote from Charles Fillmore that they often put in the frontispiece, and I just want to read it real quick. It's, it's just a couple sentences. Charles Fillmore writes, Unity is a link in the great educational movement inaugurated by Jesus Christ. 
Our objective is to discern the truth in Christianity and prove it. The truth that we teach is not new. Neither do we claim special revelations or discovery of new religious principles. Our purpose is to help and teach man, we'd say humanity, help and teach humanity to use and prove the eternal truth taught by the master. And the reason I bring that out is I want to say, just as you said at the beginning, we didn't make this up. But the unique thing that we get here is a couple of things. First of all, Charles and Myrtle give it system. If you look once again at the preface of the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary, you can see there's a system there. It's not just anything means whatever we want it to mean. That's not what allegory is. Right. But the other piece is that you know once again, here's Mr. Fillmore saying to use and prove the eternal truth. We're here to prove it. That word prove comes up twice in that little passage. And the reason that that's important is what unity brings to the table, what Charles and Myrtle and others of like mind bring to the table is go do something about it. Live this stuff. It's allegorically interpreted, but it's personally applied. So it's not what does it mean as much as what does it mean about you in your life and what are you going to do about it? And, and uh-huh. that's really, really key. I mean the thing I come back to all the time, it's one of my favorite parts of scripture, is when Jesus and the disciples come across this guy who's been born blind. And the disciples are, are, tend to be talking about something that sounds a little bit like karma. The disciples are saying, well, what did this guy do? He was born this way. What did he do in a past life? Did his parents lose his bet with God? What happened? How come? And Jesus says, you're missing the point, guys. It doesn't matter why this happened. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. We're going to overcome that karmic cycle, if you want to mix your traditions, and just heal this. Why did bad things happen to good people? That's a certain point. It doesn't matter why. What are you going to do to fix it? That's the thing. You know, Before the break, we talked about the idea of evil and error. One of the reasons I'm not crazy about that word error is it leads to blaming of the victim. We're not interested as much in why as what are you going to do about it, and that's what's unique about the unity interpretation of Scripture is personal application and action. What are you going to do about it? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, which authors do you follow for insight on how to interpret the Bible? Metaphysically, well, uh, as clear. It's, <laughs> it's not going to come as a shock at this point to say that, that I'm going to say that, that read the stuff – Read anything you can by the Fillmore's. Obviously, it's key. Read anything you can by Dr. H. Emily Cady. Lessons in Truth is is really, really key. What you're going to find with the, the people that were there at the beginning, obviously, uh, Elizabeth Sand Turner wrote three really important books. Uh, she's quoting Fillmore a lot in there, but she's also got some of her own really important interpretations. Uh, she wrote three books that cover the whole Bible. Yes. Yeah, we um, teach them in our curriculum light. still to this day in the Johnny Coleman Institute and the Johnny Coleman Theological Seminary. Uh, let there be light, your hope of glory, and be transformed. There it is, and they're so key. And I, I don't know if anybody's ever done it better. In, in such a short period of time, there are three small books. You cover so much, and along the way, you get some important things. So what I would say is read your foundational unity text. And what you'll see is everything they wrote, everything they talked about was informed by, was in response to something in the Bible. This is a really Bible-based set of traditions, and it's easy in our – you know, in the 21st century to go, okay, yeah, but I want to know about prosperity, and okay, he's quoting the Bible. That's great. I'm moving on, but take a minute, reread those things, and go, okay, wait a minute. He's talking about whatever, the you know, Philippians, I don't know, whatever, and go take a minute. And sit with that. 
Go read the Bible passage. Ask yourself how that means that. And you right. find incredible uh, uh, education on how to read the Bible. You get an incredible insight into it. So as far as what writings, read the traditional uh, unity teachings. But I would also say you can step out further back from that and read some, in, some stuff that inspired the Fillmore's. Anything by Emma Curtis Hopkins, for example, is going to be key. She's very Bible-based. And then some of the cousin traditions to unity. So if you read Annie Ricks Millis's work or Melinda Kramer's work, there's some really beautiful Bible work in there. You can go out from that, and there's a lot of supporting stuff. I think it's important to have a good scholarly basis. Remember we said the Bible has literal and moral and spiritual meanings, right? So get clear on the literal stuff. There are Bible scholars who have nothing to do with the new thought world but know their Bible. They know their translations. They're good at languages, for example, archaeologists, right. things like that. Go find some scholarly stuff. Get a good Bible dictionary or concordance. I like Strong's Concordance of the Bible. You can get it at Amazon. It's a very, very mainstream book. You can go the other way, and I'm a huge fan of Joseph Campbell and the work that he's done with Hero Story and the power of myth. And what you can get from Campbell is understanding how to read a story and interpret it to get the mythological meaning, the allegorical meaning, and what it means for your life. He's got a great book called Myths to Live By where he's doing exactly that. How do you interpret this personally, for example? So that kind of thing is really important. But I got to say at the end of the day, what really does it for me is watching somebody work with the Bible as, as a preacher on a Sunday morning. That's what just – that's what lights my fuse You know, because I'm a preacher, so I'm oriented that way, and I know it sounds so uh, obsequious, Galen, but watching you do what you do is incredibly inspirational. I've got a, a list of people who are just really doing it right, you know, doing what needs to be done with the Bible, doing this the way that, that speaks to me. So go find go find some preachers. Watch them online. The internet is an amazing resource. You know, well, well, I, I think that yeah. There you go. I was I was I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. First off, no, I was no, just I thank was just starting to spiral. <laughs> no, I was saying I was saying I want to say thank you. You know, I'm you know part of being uh, the hardcore metaphysics guy is I want to make sure that my Bible metaphysical Bible interpretation is tight. Uh, and I, I wanted to drop a few books for people who want to do this type of study in particular, outside of what you've already shared. Um, in in uh, the Johnny Coleman Institute, um, years ago, when, when uh, Reverend Dr. Mary Tumpkin was still on this side of this plane of existence, uh, I, uh, I I told her that we need a class where, before we go directly into the Elizabeth Santerna books, because we would do like a literal understanding the Bible class, which... I got changed, but I asked her for that. I was like, can we do don't know much about the Bible? I was like, I read this book, and it's really good, and it's simple by Kenneth Davis. Uh, it kind of covers the stuff he does in a humorous kind of way, and it's written like a seventh grade level. And it, it. literally, you'll get all the information. That's literally our Bible one now. But I asked her, I said, we need a class before we go to these Elizabeth Santerna books. And, and I said to her, I said, so we can learn how to develop metaphysical eyes. You know, like my eyes, your eyes, we look at a scripture and our brains automatically start doing the metaphysical interpretation. But that's a skill set. How do you learn? Yeah. It? So, um, you know, the book we we currently well, when I first presented it, it was more material. But uh, the book we currently use in UFBL for that process is Jack Addington's Hidden Hidden Mystery of the Bible, where he takes nice. Fillmore's methodology 
I mean, Hook and Crook, Fillmore's methodology, shows how to work with the proper names, places, numbers. He gives you the basic outline. He gives you examples of metaphysical interpretation so you can uh, see how it actually works. And I think it does great work. The other book that I recommended to her at the time that we we're currently not using, it's actually, as far as I know, not in print, but I consider it exceptionally important, is uh, uh, was written by a unity minister named Alden Studebaker, Wisdom for a Lifetime. And what Wisdom for a Lifetime did for me was it 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 um it explained nine lenses of looking at the Bible, you know, literal and mm. you know and you know, uh, humorous, you, you know, he separates allegorical and metaphysical as well. He had nine lenses okay. and he was basically saying what, you know, if you start looking at the Bible, you take the same story and you put it through these nine lenses, including metaphysics, um, you can come up with all these brilliant dynamics. And what he did was, um, he created a four step process. You do these four steps every time you do metaphysical Bible interpretation. Okay. And uh, I actually okay. emailed him, a few, uh, emailed a Facebook message to him a few years back, like, "Hey, man, this book needs to come back out in print." <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> because because uh, people need a how-to. Like, you know, people. It's like it's why we preach in three steps, five steps. Do these four things that you mentioned earlier, because it gives people a handle to be able to work with a particular subject. And I found that those two books in particular really are key for me in helping people, helping me do my interpretation work. So I'll go back and look at some stuff sometimes because he'll, you know, Fillmore can go way deep, deep, deep. And sometimes I just need that simple interpretation. And Jack Addington mm -hmm. to give me that. When I want to work with my HarperCollins Bible Dictionary or my HarperCollins Bible Concordance, uh, uh, those are the ones I use personally. Um, mm -hmm. Or, you know, or whatever, I can use some of that material. I also love Emmett Fox, and I love Neville yeah. uh, in particular when it comes to metaphysical Bible interpretation. I think that they are they are beyond excellent. Uh, Same here. Totally agree. Yeah, Emmett Fox is a genius with metaphysical Bible interpretation. Absolute well, genius. Fox, Fox is the one who said that every Bible should have the words, this means me on the cover, yeah. and I love that. Yes, yes. Um, I'm such a huge Emmett Fox fan, it's not even funny. Um, uh, um, because my favorite statement in all of religion is there's no such thing as undemonstrated understanding, which is found in his book, Sermon on the Mount in the chapter by their fruits, mm. uh, because he was, he was, he gave the acid test for this, for this, uh, teaching what's showing up. <laughs> he was, yeah. He, he gave no ground. And I love that about his methodology. I did want to mention a couple of people that I do think that are really good for the literal. Uh, I love Marcus Borg's book, Reading the Bible Again for the First Time. I would tell anybody that 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 reads the Bible to get Mar that book and his book on Jesus. Jesus, the uh, the um, it's a I forgot how he names. It's like the um, you know, I almost got to go to my computer because he wrote s several Jesus books, but but one in particular is beyond fabulous um he, he calls it a uh, jesus um what is it uh, i'm trying because he has so many yeah jesus the life teachings and relevance of a religious revolutionary 
I, mm. I'm contemplating doing that book on the show, but for me to do it, it might take the year. Uh, and I don't know <laughs> if I want to take a year teaching something, but that's how that's a journey. much I respect this book. It's the best book I've ever read on Jesus. Hands down. Jesus, the life teaches the relevance of a religious revolutionary. The other book that really made me contemplate Jesus was written by Bart Ehrman called How Jesus Became God and Why. How did this Jewish prophet get interpreted to being the God of the universe? Uh, it was it was stages through which that happened. And the reason why I point to those things is because as Rocco Erico, who I love Rocco, I'll just say Rocco in general, um, shows us over and over again that if you don't understand the literal correctly, you can adulterate doing metaphysics to the Bible text. So anyway, mm -hmm, sure. Uh, you know, it, it's just something to think about um, as as you know people are walking, walking and working and listening to these things. So we got about a minute and a half left. So what I wanted to do uh, is, could you let people know how to get in contact with your church? If you have a personal Facebook, I'm not Facebook page, Facebook website church, personal brand, any of that stuff, could you give the people that information, please? Happy to. Just come find us at waterandstonechurch.com, W-A-T-E-R-A-N-D-S-T-O-N-E, waterandstonechurch.com. You can find us on every social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're at waterstonemen. Come find us. We do a live stream of our services at, at a 11 a.m. Eastern time, but you can watch our YouTube channel and catch up with the services. We've got people watching uh, our Sunday services from all over the world, and we are just honored that this church family is beyond just one physical location. But everything we do is Bible-based, and I would love to have some folks listening check us out on the web. Beautiful, beautiful. So definitely, um, if you want to get some good, hardcore metaphysics, He's also a guy who, who delivers the goods. So I want to make sure that you <laughs> give you. yourself the opportunity to be blessed by his ministry. Just know that, you know, this is a work that we have to do. We have to make yes, it sir. happen. Now, I won't be on next week because I'm taking, the, you know, taking next week off. But when I come back, um, I'll have a guest. So I'm still waiting to confirm. And we're going to do the metaphysics of Adam and Eve. So if you want to work with that, we'll do it. And... Uh, Dieter will be back in December for us to talk about the kingdom of the cross metaphysically. So God bless you and I'll be with you in a couple of weeks with Truth Transforms. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.